Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. How many of you are thankful that he can break the chains? There is no fear. Fear has to bow, right? Mm, So good. Do you know, what do you know? Do you know? I'm grateful to be here today. (laughs) I've been afforded another opportunity to talk to you about the Bible and what its pages has to say to us. When I first learned of the date that I would be speaking, today's date, I went to our one-year Bible reading plan to see where I would be speaking from. What wonderful story, full of depth, would I be able to bring to you? And as I began to read, I became very discouraged, then worried. And if you've been reading our Bible plan, I think you know what I'm talking about. Monday, we started out with Lamentations. The poetic writings of a once proud and highly favored people being dragged off to a foreign land. God's chosen people, I might add. But as Pastor Pat said last week, the covenantal divorce was final and the last shreds of Israel, Judah, the unrepentant spouse is being hauled away in chains to Babylon. Lamentations 1. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, once who once was great among the nations. She who was a queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. There is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and hard labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Oh my. And if that's not bad enough in verse 5, just in case we're unsure of who and why this has all been brought about, it's not because it's some random casualty of war. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. It's all been orchestrated by God. Ugh. So I had enough of that reading. I'd rather not be a downer if I could help it. So how about Tuesday? <laughs> ah, everybody's been reading. Jeremiah. And like all the other prophets who have a message of justice or judgment, balanced with mercy or hope or grace, Jeremiah has overall the message of justice tempered with grace. And Jeremiah 40 starts out fine enough. I mean, even though we're reading of the people of Judah being taken away, we soon read that Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the Babylonian Imperial Guard, sets Jeremiah free and allows him to live wherever he would like. He even gives him provisions and a present. Okay, maybe things are looking up for these people. So I keep reading. Nope. The very next account describes the events leading up to the assassination of Gedaliah, the Babylonian appointed governor of Judah after the exile. Great. More blood and tears. Wednesday wasn't any better. More death. A handful of people are left in Judah, and they ask Jeremiah to inquire of the Lord whether they should escape to Egypt. God tells them not to go to Egypt, But they tell Jeremiah he's lying and they go anyway. And because of this, God tells them all they will die in Egypt because of their disobedience. More death. 
And then the rest of the week's reading in Jeremiah is a vivid description of how God will bring all the nations surrounding Israel to ruin. Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kadar, Hazor, Elam, and finally Babylon are all among the lists as described as meeting the same fate with language like this. The sword will devour till it is satisfied, till it has quenched its thirst with blood. Edom will become an object of horror. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of all of its wounds. The Lord has opened his arsenal and brought out the weapons of his wrath. For the sovereign Lord Almighty has work to do in the land of the Babylonians. Pretty harsh. Our God doesn't mince words when it comes to his judgment, does he? It should give us pause, shouldn't it? While we're here at this pause, you may be interested to know that scholars commonly refer to these chapters as containing some of the finest Hebrew poetry in the Old Testament, which to me is a bit ironic, but I suppose it makes sense to record the destruction of your enemies with care and flair. Be that as it may, I still had some, to find some material, something to bring to you today, although it might make for some colorful commentary. I mean, we all like karma, don't we? <gasps> I did not just say that. I'm not going Hindu or Buddhist on you. I'm just saying. In general, we like to see when someone gets what's coming to them. Am I right? Don't believe me? Picture yourself driving on M59. <laughs> coming under the uh, mound overpass. A red sports car blasts past you, throttle wide open. Just as you turn and look, you see his brown leather driving gloves, and you roll your eyes. And as he darts in front of you, right in front of you, you just get a glimpse of his vanity license plate. The number four, the number, the number two, sorry, the letters F-S-T and for you. Too fast for you, you roll your eyes again. And then you watch him go off into the distance, weaving in and out of the cars. And then you say, where's a cop when you need him, right? Where's a cop when you need him? So you keep on driving five minutes later, you see him pulled over on the side of the road, and one of our state's finest Michigan State troopers is casually walking up to Mr. Red Fancy Pants, too fast for you. And you get a karmic smile on your face. <laughs> and you think, well, I'll just stop you there. Don't think anything, lest we lest we ruin the house of the Lord. <laughs> the same goes for the titles on, this, on the National Examiner. Sad last days of Robert Wagner, Goldie Hawn, and Robert Redford. I didn't even know they were dead. But then it says, brave stars fight for life. And then we find out Tom Selleck's about Tom Selleck's tragic meltdown. And then we find out Camilla divorces Charles on his 70th birthday. And Cosby wife raids the bank account. And especially this one. Betty White talks with dead dog via pet psychic. <laughs> Clearly our culture... As a culture, we enjoy reading about the misfortunes and missteps of the celebrities of the hour, young and old, rich and destitute. We feel better about ourselves when we see people who are better off than us, flailing or gaining weight or heading to jail. At least, apparently, because if that weren't true, how could those rags still be in business? Let me say without a doubt, there is a better way. 
Because God's wrath and anger does not come from a place of balancing out the scales like we think with karma or lashing out in fists of uncontrolled rage. He does not bring destruction indiscriminately on a whim. Quite the contrary. Second Peter The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, What kind of people ought you to be? We'll answer the question Peter asked in verse 11 in a few minutes, but how many are thankful that he is patient with us? That he does not want anyone to perish. God takes his time to ensure the maximum number of souls will turn from their sinful ways and follow him. The Bible is filled with decades and even centuries of God's waiting and warning and warning and waiting. And there are many examples of individuals who went against their culture or tradition or the rest of their family and they embraced the ways of God and God fully accepted them. Sometimes saving entire families because of one person's change of heart. But when there is no change of heart, eventually God must step down and cast judgment on an individual, a family, a town, or a nation for their own good or for the benefit of the surrounding nations. And so everyone might see the power and holiness of the Lord. Sometimes there's even a lesson from their discipline for us to learn today. So I give you a personal story that might slightly illustrate to you what I mean. When our boys, how many have heard of Legos? (laughs) Ah, yeah. When our boys were probably six or eight years old in that that age range, they had a lot of Legos and they would play with them in their bedroom. (sighs) And my wife Peggy and I both said, we need you to clean up your bedroom, get this stuff cleaned up, we're gonna vacuum the bedroom. They're like, okay. Later in the day, hey guys, why didn't you clean up? You have to clean up your bedroom. Okay, we'll do it. It was getting towards the end of the day. It was time for them to get ready for bed and the Legos were still on the carpet. So the wrath of dad came forth. And in an act that I still somewhat regret, I went to go get the vacuum cleaner. And I plugged it in down the hall and started it down the hall. And it was running. And I burst into the room. As they heard that vacuum running, they were scurrying so fast to clean up their Legos. But there was way too many that they could never get them fast enough. And that vacuum cleaner went across that pile of Legos. And they heard those things clicking up the hose and into the bag. And they started screaming, I mean, in terror. And they were crying. And they said, we'll pick it up, we'll pick them up, we'll pick them up. And I said, we've been telling you all day. And I turned off the vacuum cleaner and pulled it out. And they're in there crying and scooping them up and put them in, in the box as fast as they can. And I came in later and I just, I was saddened by how much they were hurt. But it was a time where they needed to learn that what mom and dad dad says, they need to listen. We, as humans, don't always do a good job at bringing down the wrath. But God, like a loving father, will not let his children disobey very long without disciplining them. We know this from Proverbs. 
The one who loves his children disciplines them. When it comes to God and Israel, though, as Pastor Pat highlighted last week, the relationship in view is like a marriage with God as the groom and Israel as the unfaithful bride. And although God warned and pleaded with his precious people through the prophets, the day eventually came when he said, enough. A commentator recently remarked that often when we see God exact his vengeance or demonstrate his wrath, we are really seeing the reaction of a rejected lover, a scorned husband whose wife has given her heart to another, puts the wrath of God that we see here in Jeremiah in a different light, doesn't it? So as it always is with God, although we continually fail him, he never fails, nor does his plan fail. His plan will always move forward. So he just made a new covenant. When you're God, you can do that. Not only is it a new covenant, it's a better one. And Pastor Pat referred to this last week as well. And Jeremiah spoke of it in chapter 31, as did the writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 of Hebrews. It is the same new covenant that Jesus spoke of when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And Matthew brings a little bit more to it, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. We hear that every time we take communion. So now that we've stepped foot into the New Testament, we might as well see where this week's reading takes us. So it just happens to be in 1 John. This should be more fun, especially since I wasn't so keen on tackling all the blood and sweat and tears of Jeremiah and Obadiah with you. Such a downer. Am I right? So let's see what John has to say on the matter of God's wrath. And right away I get drawn in, and I hope you do will too. If you're reading along in your Bibles, it's almost all the way back to the back. First John, not just plain old John. I'll wait a moment for you to find it. His letter starts out like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at at our hands, looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So let's stop here and not miss this. The letter is written by John, a disciple of Jesus. He had been with him for all of Jesus' ministry, and he witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection. He knew Jesus. He heard Jesus with his own ears. He saw Jesus with his own eyes, and he even touched Jesus with his own hands. And I feel like whatever John writes about the sayings and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can trust. Which is what we get from the Gospel of John. And I also feel like we can trust John's observations concerning the living the life as a Christ follower. Right? So because that's one of the subjects he writes about in 1 John, let's keep reading. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And what does he do with all this that he's witnessed and this eternal life that it affords to every believer? He testifies of the truth in the story of Jesus and proclaims it to everyone he can. Then he gets personal in the next verse. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship with, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. You see, this is John conveying the deep need for connection. John had, John had a connection to God that the readers of the letter, including you and I, 
didn't have. He experienced Jesus in the flesh. And John wanted anyone who read the letter to experience what he experienced. And John is saying here that it's possible. Not only that, the joy John has from knowing Jesus can be known by us as well. Makes you want to know what else he's written here, doesn't it? I know, right? Well, we don't have time to talk about it all, but let's at least learn some of what else he writes, okay? John's audience was fellow believers. And we know this because he uses a lot of inclusive language like us and we and our. And as we've already heard and read here today, there are some pretty obvious themes that he talks about. And he uses rhetorical technique called amplification, where there are a few main themes and he cycles around and around these themes multiple times to get the point across, coming at it each from a slightly different angle each time. So we're going to see that playing out in the verses ahead. As we read through, we'll see the obvious themes that John incorporates into his letter. Good and evil, light and darkness, truth and error or lies, forgiveness and sin, life, death, and love and hate. Interestingly, Moses was the first to use all these terms in the Genesis account, even starting way back at creation. I'll give you some examples. And John had got, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw light was good and he separated light from the darkness. Genesis 2. In the middle of the garden, there were a, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3. You will not surely, certainly die, the serpent lied to the woman. For God knows that you will eat from it, that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the Lord said to Cain in Genesis 4, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule it. The final theme we see a lot in 1 John, I want to mention, is to know. It even showed up a few times in the verses from Genesis, and that's what all the other themes in 1 John are hinged upon. In fact, what love, while love is mentioned 46 times in 1 John, no is a close second at 42 times. Beyond that, the word no, along with its root yada, and I mean K-N-O-W, just so you know. The word no, along with its root yada in Hebrew and gnosis in Greek, appear more than a thousand times in the Bible. That's more than the word love. The type of no I'm speaking of here is not to simply know of somebody's existence, but rather it's to have a personal, intimate relationship with someone, whether it be God, another person, and often points to a covenant bond like in a marriage or a covenant with God. You might not have ever thought about the importance of the word no in the Bible, but hopefully as you read through it again and again, you will notice it more and more and more. It's a pretty important concept that I'm going to try and highlight today. So do you know knowledge leads to salvation? First Timothy 2, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. And in Luke, Zechariah spoke of his miracle baby, John the Baptist, a different John, who would pave the way for Jesus the Messiah. Luke 1, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
Not to mention all the verses speaking to knowledge and wisdom in Proverbs. Are you starting to see how knowledge plays an important part in our journey toward God? Let's see how John uses it in this letter. Watch how the contrasting themes are hinged on the knowing. I'll go through these pretty rapidly, and when we do, let's watch how the themes begin to intertwine, not only with to know, but also with each other. We're flying through a lot of scripture here this morning, and we're not done yet, but stay with me. I think it's safer to let the Bible speak for itself on these matters, don't you? Let's start with light. Why not? Because that's what God started with in the beginning. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in whom there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Did you see the no words here? It's not actually there, but fellowship and walking, they're not rooted in gnosis, but the ideas of fellowship and walking definitely speak to the intimately, intimate connection that is knowing God. Let's keep going. Verse John 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So not only does this one speak to truth, but our love for God through obedience. How about forgiveness? 1 John 3, 4 through 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I think that one speaks for itself. 1 John 3, 16 through 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our, down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Do you see how the themes are becoming more and more intertwined? Let's keep going. 1 John 2, 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them that makes them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So now do you see the interplay between light and love? Here John's saying our love for others helps light the way not only for us, but for them. So that we won't stumble and they won't stumble nor will we be a stumbling block for them. Keep going with love. 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. We are not to read this letter and say, oh, love 
That is so nice. No, we are to do. So how do we do? Let's keep reading. First John 4. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love made is complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Colon. In this world, we are like Jesus. We don't depend on karma to bring balance to the universe. We have God, and he's already done it. We are to be Jesus' envoys and representatives here on earth. We are called to be like Jesus in this world. It's the answer to Peter's question from 2 Peter. What kind of people ought you to be? Peter says holy and godly lives, and this here in 1 John is the how. Let me say it again. We are called to be like Jesus in the world. When we are tuned into the nature of God, which is light and love, his love flows through us. So then God is loving others through us. Do you see how important our place in the universe is? Don't ever believe that you don't have a purpose. Ever. Or that God hasn't given you a calling. We've been told to love God and love others. Every single one of us has been told to do that. What more do you need to do? I mean, that's a monumental task right there. I mean... Remember Mr. Red Fancy Pants? Too fast for you? <laughs> Not so easy to love him. And by the way, if you drive a red sports car with the with this plate, too fast for you. I apologize to you. We can talk after. As one commenter puts it, when we are self-absorbed or selfish, we are a stagnant pond with no flow. But when we are aligned with God, we are a flow of fresh, life-giving water. So this is the challenge for us today, where the rubber meets the road, as they say, or maybe a better cliche would be, this is how our tank gets filled up and how pe the people's tanks around us are filled. It's what can differentiate us from the exiles in Jeremiah about 2,600 years ago, who no longer knew the Lord. Today, we've been presented with the opportunity to know. Like Adam and Eve had, they knew God, yet they wanted to know more. And their disobedience cost them and everyone else our lives. When Adam and Eve reached out and grasped for the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we can reach out and grasp knowing Jesus and that knowledge leads to goodness and life and forgiveness and truth and light and love. And the more we know Jesus, the more goodness and life and forgiveness and truth and light and love spills out of us to the people around us. But it's all about making the right choice. When we do it, it's life-giving and we have no fear of the wrath of God. When we don't, we lose our center. We become the center. We're adrift and we're all on our own. Or we're taken away in chains to Babylon to learn a lesson. The question is the same one I asked awkwardly when I first walked up here. Do you know? Do you know the God of the universe. Do you know his son, Jesus Christ? And the question for all of us is, are we walking in fellowship in an intimate relationship with God? It's more than, yeah, I heard, I heard of God. 
the man upstairs. Or, of course, I heard of Jesus. He was a nice guy. Did a lot of cool stuff. No. Without knowing the Father or the Son, we don't receive the Spirit and we don't have the power to make right decisions. Nor can we even know the difference between good and evil or light and darkness, truth and error, forgiveness and sin, life and death or love and hate. Nor would we even have the ability to choose what was right without the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we are connected to God, we are empowered to shine his light, speak truth, offer life, forgive and love others selflessly. Do you know your brother and your sister? Do you know them enough so that you can answer the question, what does love require of me to do for them? In Matthew 25, Jesus describes how he will someday separate those who will live with him forever from those who will have eternal punishment. And here's a list from that passage. We are to feed the hungry. We are to give water to the thirsty. We are to welcome the strangers. We are to clothe the naked. We are to care for the sick. We are to visit the prisoners. And if you're still having trouble putting maybe some ideas to this notion of loving others, can I get you thinking? What if, what if we talk to someone different from us? What if we opened our home for someone, to someone for a meal? What if we just smiled? What if you were a safe, trusted person for someone to share their hurts with? What if we held open the door? What if we drove courteously? What if we prayed for someone else? What if we invited someone to church? What if we were faithful? What if we put others first? What if we speak, spoke kindly, both face-to-face, behind their back, and on social media? Boo. <laughs> It's a different life God has called us to live. A life of light in a dark world and a life of love in a culture that has twisted love beyond recognition. So can you love God and people with, with everything you are? As the worship team takes their place, we're gonna read from John's gospel, the same John. And here's Jesus' words. Let's go to the authority on obeying, knowing, living, and loving. John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other.
If any of this that I've shared with you today has given you pause or if, if something I've said has caused you to say, well, there's no way I'd do that. Or something in your past has its grip on you still. And it's holding you back, hindering you from knowing or loving or living or forgiving. If your father or mother was all wrath and no love, and you even don't even know how to express it, today's the day to turn the corner. In fact, the altars are open for you right now. The worship team has taken their place. And we're going to sing, build my life again. And as a reminder, if you're not totally familiar with the lyrics, it's so, such a perfect song that was chosen for this day before I had written this message. Because the chorus goes like this. Open my eyes up, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. If that's not a knowing line, I don't know what, what it is, what is. And then what? Fill me with your heart and lead me in love to those around me. So I'm going to encourage you to stand and sing these words with a newfound, hopefully, a newfound sincerity. To know God more, to possess his heart, and then love those around us. But I mean it. If any of those things that I just went through spoke to you, the altars are open. If there's anybody in the back who just can't make it to the front, wave your hand and we'll find you and we'll pray with you. To know God more, to possess his heart, and then love those around us. And then after the song, I have a few words to close this out.
isn't he? His love is a firm foundation. So here we are at the end of the message, but it's not the end of our story. God's calling us into a deeper and deeper relationship with him. And although wrath and judgment come from his nature of love, we are shielded from it by the blood of the new covenant in Jesus. And as a result, it presents an opportunity for us all. And that is to know our creator. It's to know our savior. And as we know him more and more, we are changed day by day. John looked into the eyes of Jesus and he walked with him and he talked with him and he saw his crucifixion and his resurrection. And as a result, John and the rest of the disciples were transformed. They were never the same. And it's the opportunity that John talks to us about in 1 John that we can be part of that. We can have the fellowship, the same fellowship that he had with Jesus when he was walking and talking with him is the same fellowship that we can have with Jesus. When we spend time with him, when we're in his word, it's how we grow closer to the God of the universe. And I was obviously kidding with you when I said that we weren't gonna be able to talk about Jeremiah and Lamentations, because we did anyway. And I know in the middle of Lamentations, there's a bright spot. And hopefully you saw it too, didn't get tired of the laments. And this is what the writer says, yet I call to mind and therefore I have hope. After he's gone over and over and over about all the things, all the awful things that have happened to precious Israel, he stops and he, and he realizes and he remembers what he knows. And because he remembers what he knows, he has hope. And we can have the same hope as well. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity for us to know the creator of the entire universe. You came down and walked and talked and taught and healed and you died and then you rose from the dead. We thank you for allowing us to be part of your new covenant. We thank you for including us. A powerful God can bring his frail creations to him. You've made it possible. Help us know you. Help us know you. Help us love the people around us so that we can show light in a dark, dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.